And we are live, people. Good evening. It is Brian, the UK Bitcoin Master, back as always every Monday, every Thursday, 6 p.m. London time. Uh, Today is the 13th of September 2021. As always, you know the name of the game on this show, Strong Bitcoin Hand. Buy your coins, get them off those exchanges, and then get on and enjoy life and do not wish your life away. Bitcoin will do what it's going to do when it's going to do it, and you or I will not influence that. So you just as well treat every single day of your life as if it's the last and enjoy it and do the things that we're put on this earth to do. Uh, Welcome everyone. It is great to have you here today. I am so excited about uh, bringing my live guest into the room in a second. Before I do that, as always, it is customary. If you are new to this channel, please don't take anything I say or my guest says as any type of financial advice. Do your own research. Only buy what you could afford to lose. Yes, this is uh, an asset that could go down as well as up. So it's really important that you do your own research. Don't take anything I or we say as any type of financial advice. Uh, Check out my work. I've been live streaming now for three years, ukbitcoinmaster.com. That is where you'll find every video I've done today and bitcoininterviews.com clearly where you'll find all the interviews that I've done to date with, uh, in my opinion, some of the greatest thought leaders in the Bitcoin space today. Um, People that have, you know, they talk a lot of common sense. They don't flower it up. You know, what you want is good, honest advice, good, honest guidance. And there are too many people out there, too many channels out there that are clickbaity and they're just looking to say certain things to get you to buy or do certain things. Don't do it. Do your own research. Bitcoininterviews.com. There's some great interviews. So do check that out. Finally, I do not run my channel for any type of financial gain. It is not monetized. Some people have said, how can we drop you a tip? Here's what I would suggest you do. Go to tipping.me at UK Bitcoin Master and practice using the Lightning Network. You can send 10 sats. You can send 100 sats. It will cost you pennies. And you can literally get yourself familiar with what I believe is the next stage in Bitcoin's evolution, the way that we can make seamless payments across borders without fees, cutting out um, Western Union and the like. So go over, get yourself a wallet of Satoshi, get yourself a moon wallet, some kind of lightning wallet, and just practice sending a few sats around. And you can use that address to do just that. Very, very quickly before we get on with the show, quick shout out to some of the people in the house. My lovely wife, Elaine, Mrs. UK is in the house. Shout out for Elaine. My lovely daughter, Buffy W is with us. We've got a family show going on here, people. Lance Hoddle, great to see you in the house. Uh, we've also got Yorkie Bitcoiner from the north of the UK. Welcome, Yorkie. Wilco Delamars with us. Uh, Matthew Underhill from the Bitcoin Book has just joined us. Welcome to you, Matthew. Uh, Vinny Rondo, hi to you, Vinny. Okay, we're going to get on with the show. If you want a shout out, If you want to ask a question of me, my guest or us, um, type in UK Bitcoin Master, followed by your message. It will flash up orange on my screen and I'll gladly give you a shout out or get the question aired. So that said, without further ado, I'm going to split the screen and I'm going to welcome my guest. And I've got to say this. I've been watching this gentleman for a couple of years now. I'm massively impressed with him. I'm massively impressed with everything he has to say, I would encourage you all to pay attention to what this gentleman's got to say. Pay attention to his background that is so right and fitting for why he advises people on what's going to happen with Bitcoin. So without further ado, Mr. Greg Foss, Mr. Canadian Greg Foss, welcome to the show. It is great to have you in the house. What a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, I want to say hi to your wife, your wife, Elaine, and your daughter. I believe you said her, her name. Was it Buffy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hey, so great to meet you guys. Thank you for having me. I'm currently in British Columbia, Canada, sitting on the deck of a ski lodge uh, that uh, in two months will have six feet of snow on it. But uh, right now, uh, in beautiful British Columbia, I've just completed a trip across uh, the Canadian uh the canadian from toronto to british columbia about five thousand kilometers uh with my daughter so great week 
embrace humanity as uh brian said uh it's great to be alive and uh it's a pleasure to be with you guys well it's an absolute delight to have you in the house greg i have to say and um my audience know that i follow you i wherever you're doing a podcast i'm listening i certainly you know to to kick the show off i certainly don't have the knowledge around bitcoin that you have but i think we've all got our place in bitcoin and every single one of us can do our part to help touch another person and get this message out there of this most incredible time um to be alive in in living history in my opinion so many people are going to come after this so many people have left us you know my family members included and they're going to miss this you know we've got the turbulence of the pushback of people saying oh this is crazy because they don't want change and they don't understand what's coming so um let's get on with this greg and um what i want to do is i i guess for my audience i want to sort of tell us or i want you to tell a story if that makes sense so let's kick off um with your background now what i was going to do was tell the audience a little bit about your background but why don't you do that so uh thanks sure uh listen we're we're both boomers um i'm 58 years old i if i do math it sounds to me with a 42 year old daughter that you're slightly older than i am but uh let's assume that we're both boomers um and i feel actually a little guilty as a boomer i actually feel that the boomer generation is one of the most selfish generations that uh i've ever uh been lucky enough to live on our earth and i feel guilty because i feel we're pulling forward uh gains that are our kids gains we're pulling them forward or our politicians are pulling them forward on a selfish basis to try and get themselves reelected but it's costing our kids our future and so i have been a credit risk manager for 30 years uh it, specifically i was a high yield bond trader uh on both uh, the sell side of the street which would be uh the equivalent of working at a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan or a, a um Barclays Bank for you guys uh but then I I went to the buy side I worked at a hedge fund uh two separate hedge funds actually for a period of over 20 years I managed risk so the the most important thing that people can understand about me as a person is that I've managed risk in the financial turmoils that have embraced our nations uh respectively over a period of over 30 years. I started as a engineer. Mathematics is the basis of most of the things I try and solve problems, so I always revert back to my mathematical background. Um I do believe that Bitcoin is the most beautiful technology that I've ever seen in 32 years but that being said look I'm 58 years old what do I know about technology I graduated from university without ever having used a personal computer because while they did exist we did all our work on a mainframe back in 1986 and then 2 <laughs> years later I I basically got exposed to some uh some that you know the Apple Macintosh when I was at Cornell University in upstate New York now I was lucky enough to experience the difference between the Canadian cultures and the US cultures Uh, I don't know if you saw that uh Brian that uh I did give a shout out to my former roommate at, at Cornell. He was killed in the World Trade Center t- 20 years ago this weekend, right? Mm. So, um you you say about technology that I understand technology and I understand Bitcoin and I'm going to push back on that. I think you probably understand Bitcoin better than I do in the technological aspect perhaps. And I'll also tell you that look, I I'm still learning stuff about the internet. How incredible is it that I traveled across Canada with a computer and I've done three podcasts in that time from different locations and I was able to do it virtually and actually pretend yeah. that I'm still working yeah. and be spend time with my daughter. So I've I I am in awe of social media. I'm in awe of the technological progress that's been made and I'll use this a statement that I'm borrowing from Jeff Booth, a, a very good friend of mine who wrote what I think is the best book I've ever read called The Price of Tomorrow. Mm. Um Jeff Booth says there will be 100 years worth of change in the next 10 years. So yes, we're going to be alive for that. You and I are going to be alive for it, God willing. Um we're going to be alive for that, but it's really about our kids and this is what I'm here for. Your your introduction is so funny, right? It's like it's all I think you it's all about humanity. <laughs> it's all about humanity. Well, it really is, right? Sound money is a moral issue and right now our governments have no idea of the risk they're putting our future generations in by this irresponsible printing of fiat 
currency. And I could go into depth about my past, but I'll, I'll take a break and you can say, how do you want this uh, conversation to progress at this point? Well, to, to be honest with you, you know, your past is obviously money, a hedge fund. You know, I, I understand hedge funds and, you know, people putting their money in funds or in a company it goes across funds and all that stuff. Um, I guess where, where I'm interested, coming from money, uh, you know, working in money, how did you stumble across Bitcoin? And did you maybe like sailor it, ignore it? Did you look at it and think this can't be? I mean, how did that evolve? Yes, great and question. What, you so, know, yeah. So here, here's the truth. Okay, so uh, my first job out of um, uh, university, my MBA, which I did at, uh, in, in New York, I came back to Canada and I was working for Canada's largest financial institution, the Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, it was a multi-billion dollar uh, asset uh, bank, okay? Right now they're over a trillion dollars, but at the time in 1988, it was a, a large bank it would have ranked probably 10th largest or even in the top 10 in north america uh behind banks like jp morgan and citibank of course but other <clears> banks too that have <throat> since merged like chase manhattan the, the long and short of it is brian that in 1988 one of my first jobs working at the royal bank of canada was working directly for the cfo where it was determined internally that the royal bank of canada was insolvent okay and very simply all that meant was it did not have any buffer against risk because if we had marked a market our Latin American debt portfolio, uh, the value of the book value of equity would have been negative. And that's the definition of insolvency. Uh, but the Royal Bank of Canada wasn't alone. So were all global banks, including the UK banks by that, uh, by that measure. The global banking system was insolvent in 1988. And most of the world didn't know about it. Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady did know about it, and he invoked a plan called the Brady Plan to rescue the global banking financial system. That's the first financial calamity that I was exposed to right out of school, and I'm like, oh, my God, you don't learn about this in school. Nope. And secondly, how come everybody has comfort putting money in banks then if they can regularly be insolvent? And the answer was, there's a, you know, as everyone knows, there's an implied backstop by the uh, the governments that the banks are too big to fail. And if the government's going to bail out the banking system, how do they do it? And nothing has changed since 1988. They would print money to bail out the banking system. Well, fast forward another 30 years. What other financial calamities did I live through? I lived through, in 1999, the long-term capital management. Okay, where Wall Street allowed the largest hedge fund on Wall Street to lever itself 99 times versus the amount of capital that it raised. They levered themselves up to take risk that magnified their risk 99 times. That's just irresponsible, but it happened. And there was a socialist uh, response to that, which was they will bail out long-term capital management. Well, when you socialize losses like that, crony capitalism, it has measured impacts on the financial stability of the system. What happened after that? About 10 years later, the great financial crisis. I worked at a hedge fund where, honest to God, I went to work at the beginning of 2009 thinking that the, sorry, yeah, 2009, it's been a long time ago, uh, that the world was actually over. Yep. Okay. March yep. 2009, I was convinced that we were in the last days of the financial system. Yep holding yep. itself together. Now, the Fed at that time did what they needed to do. They uh, had programs like TARF, which was the Troubled Asset Relief Program, where the Fed took on their balance sheets, troubled assets from the likes of Lehman Brothers and uh, Goldman Sachs and huge insurance companies that were um, out there writing insurance or protection on markets that they couldn't possibly deliver the insurance policies to the uh to the uh so aig for example if aig was allowed to collapse the rumor was that goldman sachs would have collapsed as well because the insurance that goldman sachs had bought from aig would not have been able to be paid out and then goldman would have been left on the hook so anyway this tarp program was again socializing losses the governments took on their balance sheets all of these troubled assets 
the governments became more le levered and essentially all that happened was a transfer of leverage in the system again from the financial system to the balance sheets of governments. Now, everything could have been okay. Mathematically, there was still a chance to pay down all that accumulated debt, but they didn't. Because you don't get reelected for another four years in government if you become really austere, right? If you yep. run on a platform of austerity, yep. you're not gonna win another four years in government. And every time the, the, the Fed tried to taper, there was a taper tantrum, but you know, Mathematics is what it is. There was still a chance until COVID hit. Now, I retired in 2016 from the financial markets. I had had enough. Quite honestly, it was it had been, you know, wearing on my personal well-being. And I uh, I retired in 2015 from the financial markets. I decided, you know, I'd had enough of the game. And I found Bitcoin in 2016. And I'm not like Sailor. I had I had never studied it and 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 uh, disregarded it. I had heard about it, but I had never even tried to study it. And then someone introduced it to me over a four-year, uh, oh excuse me, over a four-hour meeting. And the thing yep. that convinced me more than anything, Brian, Go on. I'm visual. He showed me tradeblock.com. He showed me the blockchain in action. He showed me that transactions that are flashing across the world and i'm like what oh my god and hold on there's only 21 million of these okay and this is commerce decentralized this is excuse me finance decentralized i can send money anywhere in the world i want to it'll settle in 10 minutes i go this is the solution to the fiat ponzi that i've been looking for since 1988 well okay? you got it just like that you got it just like that I'm visual, okay? I saw it in action. I'm like, are you telling? So we downloaded a wallet right there over that four-hour period, and he transferred me value. It settled on the blockchain, and we could go to that exact transaction, and we could see the details of the transaction, how much was transferred from this address to that address. I'm like, my God, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And within about a week, I had sent money to New Zealand. I had sent money around the world just to test this thing out. Yep. And I'm like, this is the most beautiful technology that I've ever seen in my life. And then I started studying it. And then I'll come to my conclusion right now, and we can stop the broadcast right now, because here's, here's my conclusion. This is the best risk-adjusted trade I have ever seen in my 32 years of managing risk, okay? It is the most beautiful technology, yes, but it doesn't make it a great trade until you do the math. And I'd be happy to walk through the math with you. Please. But I want your listeners, I want your listeners to remember this. As a risk manager who every single day went to work trying to evaluate the various possibilities of making money and losing money in front of me, this is the best trade opportunity i have ever seen and it doesn't mean i'm a hundred percent in nor does it mean i'm a hundred percent certain i'm just telling you this opportunity excites me more than any other opportunity and believe me i've had some really really big trades in my life okay the meltdown of the great financial crisis everyone said how michael burry was such a such a genius well here's michael burry who was short at the top but it took a lot of really smart people to buy some stuff at the bottom. Yeah. And guess yeah. what? I managed to fund it, bought over $5 billion of stuff at the bottom. And we made many, many, many multiples of returns for our unit holders on a very low, true adjusted risk basis. Well, okay. this, trade is, this that, trade is better than that. Right. So my, my interjection for my audience there, particularly for those that are maybe not um, money-minded or, you know, understand what you've been talking about, I guess what I'm saying to them is zoom in and pay attention to what Greg is saying because for 30-plus years, he's been at the cut and thrust, the coalface, the cutting edge of money management. Is that a fair? Yes, it's beautiful. And, and how you're like bringing that into Bitcoin? Well, here's the neat thing, okay? So first of all, managing other money, other people's money is a horrible business if you have a heart. Now, it turns out Peter Schiff actually doesn't have a heart because he doesn't care about his... That will start the chat management. going. <laughs> well, that's, he would have bullshit. You know, it's his fiduciary responsibility to be a good risk manager. And on our debate, he said, and I don't care. 
when I called him out as being a horrible risk manager. But the reality is most money managers have, and they do have a fiduciary responsibility to manage risk properly for their yep. clients. It's all about doing the right thing within the markets. And here's, here's a thing for your audience to listen to. When the perception of risk is low, meaning markets are humming and the equity markets are hitting all-time new highs, actual risk is high. And then the flip side is when the perception of risk is high, true risk or actual risk is actually very low because assets are on sale. People are hiding behind their shadows. They're scared about everything. Well, it's reflected in the price of which you have to pay for something. And tr- take that advice and think about what the world thinks about Bitcoin right now. The world thinks Bitcoin is actually an extremely risky asset. Yep. I'm here to tell you that it's actually a very low risk asset if you manage it correctly. So break that down. Can you break that down a bit for... Remember, I'm a working class guy. I drove trucks for a living. Okay, Okay. so sort of break that down for the people that are on in the chat that are regular people that go to work and earn a Uh living. Bring then in how, you know, inflation is going up and they're getting less and less for their money and how Bitcoin tie it in. Let's let's put trucks. Okay, so the world needs trucks. Trucks are uh, a vehicle that uh, are, are necessary for commerce. Um, and there's going to be a, a price of trucks that's uh, fairly standard in, in a market that's not uh, crazy. Uh, and imagine you're, you're in the market for a truck because you want to be in a new business. And that truck costs you $40,000. Why 40? Well, it's almost the price of a Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. So that truck costs you 40000 And all of a sudden, the trucking industry starts melting down. And trucks go on sale and you can buy these trucks for like $15,000 rather than $40,000. Well, the perception of buying the truck when it's $15,000 is, oh my God, I'm buying it and it's going to go to zero. But unless you think the world's going to end, there's going to be a requirement for trucks going forward. And while you're paying $15,000 for it on that day and you feel really scared doing it, the reality is you're taking far less risk buying it at 15,000 that day than you would have been taking when you bought it at 40,000, okay? Yep. It's yep. the same thing that's gonna be required going forward, you're gonna need trucks. It's just that you're getting it at a much cheaper price. Now there could be short-term volatility and the demand for trucking could go down, but the reality is, look, unless you think the world's gonna end, you need assets like trucks that are a store of value because why? They have utility in the future. That's all that Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is a store of value of your work and time and energy that you expend today. You're storing that value for the future. It's the most beautiful technology for storing value that I have ever seen. It's better than trucks, but trucks are better than bonds. If I had to put my money in something right now, I'd buy used trucks before I bought bonds. Yeah. And again, this is all a way of measuring the various risk versus return opportunities that are presented on a daily basis to everybody. Now, sometimes, like in 2008, let me tell you, it was no fun being an asset manager, even though we were knocking the cover off the ball. I thought the world was going to end. I literally was sick to my stomach a couple of times. And that's no fun, but it happens. And you need to own insurance against these events. And as a credit trader, very simply, I will tell your listeners, Bitcoin is the best insurance against credit calamities that I've ever seen. So you always need insurance. If you own an asset or own your house, you generally have fire insurance on your house. Well, you should have fire insurance on your nation or on fiat currencies. And that fire insurance is called Bitcoin Hmm. because fiat currencies are going on fire. It's mathematically certain that they will continue to debase and you need insurance against that. So talk to those people that... um perhaps don't 
understand Bitcoin and don't understand why they should own Bitcoin in terms of their purchasing power of, of their dollar or their pound then, Greg. So, I mean, bring it down to a level where the regular person that might catch the show a sure. year's time, two years time can go. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, there's a I think there's a big void out there between somebody first hearing about Bitcoin and then they jump on some podcasts and everybody's talking really tech stuff. And it's like, oh, I can't understand it. How about this? So I'm a partner in eight Irish pubs in Montreal. OK, yep. so I'm going to bring something that the Brits are really good at. That's drinking beer. OK, <laughs> the big Brits are really good at drinking beer. Okay. Yeah. How much did your first beer cost you when you started drinking versus how much that same pint of beer costs you today? Crikey. 65 okay, pence, I think. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what a pence is. From what I understand, it's a, the same way of saying a dollar, but it's a different way of saying a buck or a dollar. So Call it cents. Said, Call it 65 cents. 65 cents. Okay. Now what does it cost? Eight, eight, or, or uh, it's four, four, four or five pounds-ish. Four or five pounds, right. Okay, right. You guys aren't even on the euro basis. But look, um, the point is the value of that beer has not changed because it still tastes really good and it's still made with the same ingredients. It's just the purchasing power of your pence has gone down because the value of your pence has been debased such that you now need eight times as much or seven times as much money to get the same pint of beer. Yeah. That's called inflation or debasing of the currency because you print too much of a currency in a supply and demand world. You think you're printing yourself to prosperity, but you're not. You're actually cost, causing the dollar or the fiat to debase, thereby making goods and services and assets more expensive using that as a unit of account. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, there are, I'm looking at my audience and there are some people in there that, are, you know, got their head screwed on. Pubby's in the house. Shout out to Pubby. Um, but, Shout you know, there are also people and if I, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, help me to 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 get this. Um, if we're going to create adoption for Bitcoin now, I know the argument is we need the institutions to come in. You know, we need the big money to come in if we're going to move this forward. But then you've got this debate, you know, where the, the, the people on Twitter are saying, you know, F you, we don't want them in. We want ordinary regular people to buy Bitcoin and, you know, transfer this wealth across to regular people, etc. Um, so, uh, Oh, I've completely lost my train of thought. The question I, I was going to ask something there. Then I know where yeah. you're going with this. Okay, yeah. I'm going to answer your question. All right. So first of all, the institutions aren't necessarily bad people. Those institutions actually could represent the pension fund of a lot of the hardworking blue collar people that are probably in your uh, yep. on your podcast. Yeah. So as hardworking blue collar people, you actually want your pension fund to make smart investments for you. Um, and you may not own it directly, but if your pension funds own Bitcoin. They've done a smart risk-adjusted trade, in my opinion. Now, the institutions aren't evil. A lot of these people actually don't understand how financial markets actually work, and they take exception to anything that uh, appears to be uh, the concentration of power. Look, the fact that the UK post office has one of the biggest pension funds out there, I'm, I'm just guessing they do because I know Canada does and I know Japan does. So the fact that the UK post office is one of the largest institutions investing in the world on behalf of retired post office workers doesn't make them a bad person. In no, fact, if those yeah. post office workers wanted exposure to Bitcoin and actually rallied their fund to have exposure to Bitcoin, that might be the smartest thing they could ever do. Because I'm almost certain those post office workers have exposure to bonds, which as after 32 years of trading bonds, I can categorically tell you anyone with any exposure to fixed income bonds right now is a loser. You're a fucking loser, okay? Get this straight. You failed mathematics, but they are mandated in their investment guidelines that they have to own bonds. Yep. Wow, what a stupid system, isn't it? Mm. But that's what you get when you, you know, you pay people peanuts, you get monkeys, okay? You got monkeys managing your pension funds right now. Maybe if you could get people with a brain that saw the benefits of holding Bitcoin rather than the traditional 60% equities and 40% bonds, these guys would be happy. And that's where the money is, Brian. The money is in with pension funds because over time, 
they have felt that the individual pensioners weren't smart enough to manage their own money and attracting the workers with a pension plan was always a big selling point, right? So don't, don't be upset with the institutions, embrace these institutions. Yes, they are coming and they should be coming because any institution that actually has exposure to bonds, man, oh man, they need insurance to hedge themselves against the certainty of those bonds being debased over time. Awesome. Um, right. Let me just clarify something. I'm not against them. Um, what I was referring to was what I, I you, see yeah. out there I on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. No, and no, they're beating you, up all the time. Like, yeah. It's, it's tough. It's tough because, look, I love these these toxic Bitcoin maximalists, but some of them don't know what they don't know. OK, they really don't know what they don't know. And they pretend they know stuff and they look like morons. OK, mm. and it's fine. I'm not here to say I'm the smartest person in the room. Because if I am the smartest person in the room, you guys are in big trouble. Okay? <laughs> I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you that you need to listen to smart, smart people. And sometimes when you're listening to smart people, you get bombarded with dumb people as well. Um, Michael Saylor, you brought up his name. Adam Back, uh, young kids like Dylan LeClaire, uh, who works at Will uh, Clemente. <clears throat> Will Clemente. These kids are the future. I am afraid I'm calling them out and I'm praising them, even though some of the toxic Bitcoin maximalists don't like me to do that. Well, you guys go pound sand, okay? Because these kids are the future and they're doing God's work and they understand math. And no, they don't actually want the world to end and neither do I. There needs to be a transfer of power from the fiat system to the Bitcoin system. And it'll take time and hopefully it's an orderly transfer of power, not the Armageddon scenario that a lot of these people are, it seems to me, are hoping for. Um, in all honesty, and, and uh, I feel that if there is a collapse, Bitcoin's going to collapse down with them. Now it will recover. But Am I am I right? Am I wrong? You know, if there is a big corruption. Look, 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 yeah, okay, you're probably right, but who cares? Because then people will understand that, oh my God, the Armageddon scenario is coming true and I need to own insurance. So right now, Bitcoin likely in the short term would act as your short term risk off trade until people realize, no, no, no. You don't sell your insurance when the world is 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 starting to implode to buy more. And then it'll turn around. And by the way, I was speaking to a really cool guy last night in Whistler, Canada. I'm calling out Seb Bunny from New, uh, from he's a Kiwi who lives in Whistler, Canada now. He's done some great research. He's under the age of 30, done some great research for Bitcoin Magazine. The guy is brilliant. And he looks right. He looks me right in the eyes and he says, you know, Foss, uh, and he hasn't heard me say this. Bitcoin is being long volatility. That's exactly right, because the world is short volatility and Bitcoin is the opposite. It's a long volatility. So Bitcoin is your insurance, ladies and gentlemen, and it might go down in the short term because people who own it don't really understand what it is or are in there for a speculative trade here and there. But over time, I promise with the development of markets, this is an asset that's only 12 years old. You know, over time, people will more and more understand what Bitcoin is. It's insurance. It is a long volatility position, not a short vol position, which means as volatility and risk in the markets expands, yep. Bitcoin should go up in value. Yep. I firmly believe it will over time, but I'm not good at trading short-term time things, and nobody is, okay? And nobody outperforms the market. Why is that? Because in total, everybody is the market. So as a whole... You can't outperform something that you're part of. So over time, people don't outperform the market as a as a as a group because they are the market. The don't market decides. Things. Don't overthink things, guys. This is your insurance. Own five percent of Bitcoin. It, once you own more than five percent, we'll talk about what your true exposure should be. But until you own five percent, you're taking more risk by owning zero Bitcoin than if you own 5% of your portfolio. And here's the flip side of this. Once you own 5%, you're gonna forget that you own 95% of something else. And all you're gonna be doing is worrying about your Bitcoin position. Bitcoin position. It's only five fucking percent. Don't overthink this. Yep. Get your position, get your 5%, get your insurance on board. You still have 95% of other stupid stuff that you need to pare down to get a proper position in Bitcoin. 
So what you're saying then, people are actually, um, they're being um, reckless by not having some kind of position. Reckless is the wrong word. No, no, reckless is a great word. They're being irresponsible. That's they the word. They are being irresponsible. Yeah. They are being irresponsible by not owning Bitcoin. Now, some of them will say, but I read in the newspaper that Steve Hankey told me it was... Steve Hankey is a fucking old fart that has no idea what real value is. He's biased to the fiat system, okay? He's misinformed, and even worse, I think he's disingenuous. You you got to get yourself out of listening to these fiat fools, okay? Yeah, yeah. He's a professor who works for the IMF, full stop, okay? He is conflicted, and he's dangerous, and I hope Steve Hankey's listening because your John Hopkins degree that you're working for is going down in value every single time you open your trap, Steve Hankey. You are an embarrassment to finance. You're an embarrassment to logic. And worst of all, you're conflicted and your activity is criminal. <laughs> Thank you. Well said. OK, right. Let's switch. Um, so I watched your recent debate with Mr. Shift and Gold. Talk to us about, you know, we keep hearing gold 2.0. I mean, I, I'm a believer and I don't understand it, but I, I've got my my view that I think Bitcoin and gold will and can cohabit. And there's, you know, gold's 5,000 year history. You know, we know that it's held value over time. It's where people used to run to when in times of crisis, you know, um, obviously now we've got Bitcoin. How do you see that playing out? I mean, you know, we're let's call it a trillion. I know we're under a trillion at the moment in terms of Bitcoin market cap, around but you know, 10, tri around 10 trillion and we, yeah, yeah. around an error, 10 trillion and we match gold's market cap. How do you see all yeah. this playing out? Um, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, direct you to someone far smarter than I am in the in the gold and uh, Bitcoin square. His name is Larry Leopard or Lawrence Leopard. He's on Twitter. Okay. He is he is a gold bull who's actually learned to embrace Bitcoin as a equally, if not more, valuable store of value. I own gold. I don't own as much gold as I own Bitcoin, but I yeah. certainly own gold before I own bonds. Let's let's pick on the elephant in the room. Bonds are $400 trillion. That's not just bonds, but it's all bank debt as well as bonds. $400 trillion, Brian. That's mm. the asset class we should be focusing on. Yeah. Gold. Gold is a valuable, uh, gold is a valuable um, commodity. Uh, commodity, an asset. It's had a history. I actually think of Bitcoin, though, as being better than digital gold. I think of Bitcoin as being digital energy, and that's what makes me excited. Both gold and Bitcoin are used as a store of value. We shouldn't be kicking the, the, the gold bugs. And the gold bugs, I understand why they're kicking Bitcoin, because they're scared. Mm. They're scared, and they rightly should be, that Bitcoin will overtake their $10 trillion market cap. The funny thing is, though, Bitcoin's going way higher than $10 trillion in market cap because it can be audited, whereas, whereas gold... There's forgeries, there's double spending, there's uh, counting gimmickry, and then most importantly, and this is the ability to hype, uh, you know, to uh, uh, use futures and whatnot to, uh, to, to, to to trade the asset. Sorry, guys, this is my stupid government trying to call me to uh, to check where you know I was in the United States, and they're they're bugging me because I <laughs> think I haven't been double. And you wrote a podcast. <laughs> These guys. Uh, they're just such losers, okay? Trudeau is a loser, and the Canadian government is a loser. Get Trudeau out of office. Yeah, I've heard you. I've heard you say that. Um, so, so um, oh, there was. Oh, I've just been taken off my train of thought again now. So <laughs> we we were talking about gold. Um, gold so, so, so think of it as digital energy, though, please. Can you can? And this is the most important. Can you explain thing that? Can you explain sure, that? Well, look. So it takes it takes energy to mine Bitcoin and to prove the uh, you know to, to proof, the of, proof work. of work. Yep. Yep. Okay, um, think of Bitcoin as being digital energy, and that digital energy can be stored for use in the future. That's yep. Yep. from an engineering standpoint. That's the most eloquent. And Michael Saylor, I'm giving him full credit for this, as that's his his thesis that Bitcoin uh, follows the law, the law the first law of thermodynamics as the rule of conservation of energy okay yep. it's the most beautiful store of value some people have said it's a battery let's let's not uh, confuse the issue it's a better store of value than gold but it doesn't mean that i want you to sell your gold to buy bitcoin sell your bonds before yep. you buy 
as before you sell your gold, sell equities before you buy, uh, you sell your gold to buy Bitcoin and 100% sell your cash or mm. turn your cash into uh, Bitcoin. But, you know, don't pick on gold. It's gold has a long history. Um, I don't think it's particularly uh, attractive relative to the better race, a horse or the horse in the race rather, which is Bitcoin. But it doesn't mean that I'm 100% certain that Bitcoin's going to win the race. And it doesn't mean that I'm 100% certain that gold will go down in value or not maintain its value. What I am 100% certain of is that your fiat currency will go down in value. Your yep. beers are going to be way more expensive in the future, Brian. Yep. You think they're expensive now? They're going to get way more expensive in the future. Well, funny enough, my, my daughter posted something um, in the chat earlier, and it was along the lines of, I think, something going up, fuel going up. I mean, when you consider fuels going up, you know, lumber, timber, whatever you call it, is going up. You've got yeah, clothing it's, going it's, up. It's You've got electricity going It's not going up. It's the unit of account is going down. Everyone okay. thinks they've made money on their house. Guys, you haven't made money on your house. It just takes more of the stupid unit of account called a fiat unit of account to buy the same house. Okay. If you measured your house in gold, you, your house has maintained its value, but it hasn't gone up in price. Mm. So it all depends on this unit of account. And that's the problem. We need to change the unit of account from a fiat standard to a Bitcoin standard, and the world will be a lot better place. That's what Mr. Schiff was saying. That's when he was change. That's when he would change his mind, wasn't it? When everything is uh, measured in Bitcoin, you buy things. Shifty, yes, he, he look shifty. Is a, let's let's not focus too much on him. I agree with all the toxic maximalists out there. Uh, the time has come to to, to turn Peter Schiff off. Uh, he 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 gets it. He's ninety nine percent of the way there, and he's too stupid to go the last one yard. Uh, he's going to fumble the ball on the one yard line every single time. Just let him fumble the ball. Uh, I, I, quite honestly, it was a debate that uh, I wish I had never done, uh, only because I talking to a wall is more satisfying than talking to, Steve, to Peter Schiff. Okay. Um, that being said, he was by and large a gentleman. I hope I maintain my composure. Uh, he you believes did. very strongly in an asset that is far better than any of a, a handful of assets that I can uh, take. So I, my fight is no longer with Peter Schiff. My fight is with the stupid people that own bonds because they have to, because it's mandated in their pension fund policy that they have to maintain this exposure to bonds. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. I've got all of that. Um, Listen, I'm going to ask you a question of the audience purely because I said, if you want to ask a question, type in my name, which this person has done. You answer it how you see fit. Um, Greg Kramer says, can you ask Mr. Foss what he thinks about Tether and Evergrande? Evergrande? Yeah, uh, yeah, great question. Okay, so it's uh, that's in reference to the Chinese popu uh, uh, property developer, Evergrande, okay? Okay. And Evergrande is one of the most highly levered property developers in China. It's got something like $300 billion worth of debt. The, gov the Chinese government has actually uh, imposed a holiday for the uh, interest payments on Evergrande, Evergrande debt, which I guess a centralized uh, government like the, the, the CCP can do. Detriment of bondholders, the government just mandated. So, well, they're not going to have to pay their interest anymore. Well, God darn it, that was a contract, okay? That you, you, you've just broken a contract just because you say you can. Mm. But this stuff is all the problems with centralization, of which the Chinese government is, uh, you know, the poster boy for centralization, right? Mm. Um, at the end of the day, uh, Tether is rightly so a concern in the financial markets. It should not be a concern, in my opinion, for the Bitcoiners, but for the financial markets, yes. Because if Evergrande is uh, exposure in the Tether portfolio of commercial paper, well, the banks have way bigger problems than Bitcoin does, okay? Because trust me, the banks have written backup lines of credit against this commercial paper. That's what happens in a commercial paper market. In North America, all commercial paper issuers have backup lines of credit from their banks. So if they can't issue commercial paper and roll that commercial paper in the open market, guess what? The bank owns the paper. The bank is, they run to their bank, 
credit line is is enacted and the commercial paper that was outstanding gets paid down using bank lines. Wow. So what should we be worried about then? Should we be worried about Tether or should we be worried about the global the global financial system? Okay. Everyone's just overthinking this. They're too smart by a half, okay? If now Evergrande is a problem, my whole thesis is always revolves around contagion and how a little bit of gurgling over here in one corner of the credit markets turns into a uh, into a tsunami after a while. I'm not saying don't worry about it, but I'm saying worry about things that would really be impacted if Evergrande and Evergrande's going to default. In fact, they basically just did because the CCP mandated them to be. It's going to be okay that they default. Well, in a capitalist system, once a company like that defaults, the bondholders own the company. The equity holders own zero. And that's why you need to understand the difference between laws in a developed uh, Western society like uh, the UK and North America versus the laws of the government uh, CCP, who just say, well, it's going to be okay. So uh, we're going to give them a debt, uh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, the word is escaping right, right, right now, but we're going to give them a debt uh, uh, delay. Um, guys, it's just once again why the beauty of Bitcoin as a decentralized asset is so perfect. Nobody controls it. It's, it's backed by mathematics and code. No centralized control. It, it's value that you can send anywhere. So great question. I think people are overthinking a bit it on Tether. Um, is there a possibility that there's accounting shenanigans uh, going on within te Tether? Come on, of course there is. There was accounting shenanigans going on everywhere all the time. That's what happens when fraud, fraudulent activities lead to uh, debt uh, or unwinds, much like long-term capital management. That, that was 20, 21 years ago, 22 years ago, long-term capital management. Okay, so financial markets and financial history is uh, wrought with uh, uh, fraudulent players. I, I say it's yeah. There's a, there's a there's a smoke coming from that uh, situation, and be very very aware of the contagion possibilities that Evergrande could uh, could indicate. Well, hopefully uh, that answers your question, uh, Greg Kramer. I've got another one here from Pubby. Oops. Hey, Pubby. Uh, <laughs> will Greg be be willing to come to Tampa to have a beer with Pubby and watch the Tampa Bay Lightning rise their Stanley Cup championship banner, raise their championship? When, well, yes, yes, I would. If Pubby can tell me exactly when that is, uh, <laughs> I, I would. I'd be honoured to join him. Uh, I, as a Montreal Canadiens uh, hometown boy, and uh, you don't understand what, anything I'm talking about here, uh, Brian. It's the equivalent of Liverpool playing. Uh, uh, you know, in, in the Division One, whatever your Division One team, well, in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, Pubby's Tampa Bay Lightning beat uh, my Montreal Canadiens for the, <laughs> for, the, for the Champions Cup. Okay, uh, yes, Pubby, I'm a, I'm a gracious loser, uh, and uh, you deserve to win. So uh, uh, I'll just say this very simply: uh, the Montreal Canadiens have won 25 Stanley Cups. Okay, 25, <laughs> Pubby. When the, when the Tampa Bay Lightning get up in, in anywhere close to double digits, then we can talk mano a mano. But for now, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll applaud the great victory. Uh, <laughs> the Tampa Bay End of conversation on that point. Okay, look, um, something I wanted to discuss with you. Um, as I said, I've sort of watched pretty well every podcast you've gone on. And I remember seeing... In fact, I think I used a clip of one of your podcasts on one of my previous shows. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like you to, if you can think back to it. Do you remember when you did this podcast and said, I'd like to give you my thesis on why Bitcoin could hit $2 million? Do you remember that one? Oh, I do it often. Yeah, I do it often. I'd be happy to do that with you if you if, if you like. Is that because what you're there, there are for? people that I get on the show that sort of, when I say disbelievers, we all get them. They they think that it's, I'm some crazy Brit that doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. He's ranting on. I've got a money manager here. Yeah, do that yeah. for my audience, okay. Greg, please. Okay, and I'll keep it as simple. And quite honestly, it's not that difficult. It's I always say it's grade 11 mathematics. Okay, yeah. so look. Total global financial assets today in the world is worth U.S. $900 trillion, okay? So that's all global real estate. It's all global debt. 
of which global debt's three to four hundred trillion dollars. Okay, global debt, three to four hundred trillion. That includes yep. government debt, provincial debt, state debt, corporate debt, personal debt, mortgage debt. Four hundred, three to four hundred trillion dollars. Uh, it includes gold, which we mentioned was ten trillion. So that's a little bit of a rounding error there. And it includes uh, equities, which is about a hundred trillion or more. It includes currencies, commodities. Uh, the point is, all global financial assets, nine hundred trillion dollars. Okay, yep. that's a yep. fact. It's two thousand. It's it's in today's money. Um, and of that, Bitcoin's under a trillion. Okay, so we were we are one nine hundredth of the total global financial assets. Now, yep. I mentioned before that I think that Bitcoin is, I think of Bitcoin as being digital energy. Now think of Vlad Putin, who's over there in Russia, who's not part of the OPEC cartel, who is selling his valuable natural resources for the, the fiat money of his biggest war uh, counterparty, or you know, his, his biggest uh, uh, military uh, opposition. And he's like, dang, I'm financing the United States every time I, I sell my natural resources for their shitty fiat currencies and fi shitty fiat uh, bond obligations. Maybe if Vlad did some more math, he would say, shouldn't I actually be selling my natural resource energy for digital energy? I would think he would say, yes, he should be. And he's, in fact, looked at alternatives like selling oil for gold mm. and selling oil for euros. Well, selling oil for euros is just as stupid as selling oil for for fiat U.S. dollars because they're both fiats and they're both debasing. But selling oil for gold, that's not a bad idea. But you should actually sell oil for digital energy, so natural resource energy for digital energy. Okay. If that happens, I argue that Bitcoin will become the de facto reserve asset. There might be a water bomber flying over us. So it's a water bomber. There's a bunch of forest fires going on in the, in the mountains around here. But um, anyway, um, if, if Bitcoin comes the reserve asset of the world because it is digital energy and a lot of these energy in, uh, rich uh, countries decide they want to be paid in Bitcoin. Well, is it crazy to think that Bitcoin could capture 5% of $900 trillion? Not crazy at all. No, I don't think it's crazy at all. So what's 5% of $900 trillion? That's $45 trillion. What's $45 trillion divided by $21 million? And the answer is simple. It's over $2 million of Bitcoin in today's U.S. dollars. Damn, I'm a buyer. I can only just tell you that under that probability scenario, I am such a buyer of Bitcoin because it's only math. And it doesn't mean I'm 100% certain that this is going to occur. It just means that on a probability adjusted basis, you are taking the smart side of the trade. You are taking the smart risk adjusted trade. And that's all I've ever been trained and all I've ever done in my life is taking a low risk, high return opportunity and banking it. And that's yep. what I'm doing right now. That's why Bitcoin is the best asymmetric trade opportunity I've ever seen in my life. I'm not giving you 100% certainty it's going to 2 million, but nor am I telling you it's a 0% chance it's going there. You need to do your own probability analysis. So, so, so in simple terms, we're saying that there's a 90% a upwards chance that this thing's going to do really well. There's a 2, 5, 10% chance, you know, it might go the other way. What you're saying is 99%, if you like, you know, there's a probability that I hate using you're going to make money on it because, you know, Bitcoin's no, way no, bigger don't than don't go there. Don't go there, Brian. The better way to look at it is the flip side. What chance is the market telling you right now that it's going to go to 2 million okay and i'm telling you that the, i can back out the math and i don't want to get too too fancy but i'm telling you the market's telling me greg foss who's done this that there's only a two percent chance it goes to 2 million okay and i'm like no way that's what it is i can show you how that math works but the market says that there's only a two percent chance it goes to 2 million and there's a 98 percent chance it goes to zero and i'm like those odds are wrong like when you go to the racetrack and you know that your best horse has got 100 to 1 odds and the true odds on him should be 3 to 1. What do you do when he has 100 to 1 odds against him winning? You fucking buy those odds. You're like, <laughs> I'm betting on that horse. Yeah. So I'm a buyer of Bitcoin because the market has the odds wrong. I'm trying to get my head around that. I, I, 
I, I love to. I don't want it. I know you guys are saying, you know, keep it. No, no, no do it. Do it. For my do listeners, okay, do very it. Very simple. Very simple. You need to back out a probability analysis that the market is saying that $2 million, there's only, I'm only giving you a binary outcome, which means there's only two possibilities. One yep. possibility is it's worth zero. Yep. And the other possibility is worth over $2 million of Bitcoin. Yep. Okay. How do I find out at the current $45,000 trading price yep. what that equates to? Well, essentially, I need to solve, a, a solve an equation that says 98% times zero is zero and 2% times 2.5 trillion or whatever I, you know, my math worked out to, 2% times that is 50,000. Well, that's what the market's telling you right now. There's only a 2% chance that my $2 million price target, that's on a Because of the price of Bitcoin. Because of the price Bingo. of- No, I'm backing it out of the price of Bitcoin right now. It's like going to the horse track and the guy says, there's a hundred to one odds against your horse coming in. And you said, you're smart. You've watched this horse run at every other single race and you have inside information. And you're like, dude, the right number is five to one odds or lower. So until it gets to five to one odds, you, you buy that racehorse with your eyes closed. So the yep. same thing would apply to me. Suppose I think that Bitcoin has a 20% chance of going to $2 million and more. That's my personal uh, opinion. Then I would say anytime Bitcoin is trading below 400,000 US dollars, you close your eyes and you buy it. And you say, thank you very much, Mr. Market. I think your odds are wrong. And I am taking the other side of that. Gotcha. That blows my head to bits. That really does. Right. So let's start to drill this down now. So, you know, I watch because I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I watch loads of podcasts, Swan Bitcoin, Pomps. You know, it might be... Um, uh, BTC sessions, I don't miss them. And I hear all these people make, making these, let's say, crazy price predictions, etc. But then I hear people saying, look, the price now is not what's going on with Bitcoin. That is what traders are doing and moving the price around. That's not the true value of Bitcoin. Does that make sense? That I always, I liken it on my shows to um, um uh, fiat is a liar or the fiat price of Bitcoin right now. Don't be fooled by that price. Am I making some kind of sense? I guess you are. But here as a trader, I, I like to go by the fact that price is truth on any given day. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's the most important information you can glean from a market. Now, people may disagree with the price and think that it's overpriced. And in a free open capitalist system, therefore, you're able to short that price and say you're wrong. The biggest problem with people that don't believe the price reflects the value is they'll never take the short side of the trade. They'll never say, it's like Peter Schiff, oh, it's, it, it's overvalued. There's no intrinsic value. Has he ever once shorted Bitcoin? Has he had cojones to actually take his stupid thesis to the market and place a bet on it? No. The point is price is always a very important information coming out of a market. And you can agree with the price or disagree with it, but it's fact. Yep. The price is a fact. It's a truth for that moment in time. Okay. And I think that right now, the $45,000 price of Bitcoin is a rounding error in the terms of where I think it's going. Okay. I won't give you a target or I'll give you a target, but not a time or a time, but not a target. Because I don't know when it goes there, but I'm just comfortable buying it now and transferring that wealth to my kids over time. So in terms of where we're at in 2021, then, do you feel what side of the fence are you on with regards to the bull's not over or the bull is over? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, with the bull in Bitcoin, Bitcoin is less risky today than when I first bought it in 2016 at under $1,000. Mm. And the upside today is actually higher than when I bought it at $1,000, meaning where I thought I could make 10 times my money, I actually still think I can make 10 to 20 times my money within my lifetime at lower risk. Why? Because so many things have happened in the last five years that have made my thesis stronger. The network is stronger. The governments are stupider 
And bonds are the stupidest investment I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And people need to go somewhere else. And that somewhere else is going to be Bitcoin. And I may be wrong, but I'll give you a target over 2 million bucks of Bitcoin, or I'll give you a time frame. number goes up. Don't overthink this. This is the best risk adjusted trade opportunity I have ever seen. So if somebody's listening, your advice without the financial advice would be get some Bitcoin, get off of zero, correct? Absolutely. And use your bond allocation or your cash allocation to get off of zero. You don't need to sell your gold. Gold is going to maintain its value far better than a lot of other assets out there are. And you need to sell the shit before you sell the shift. How about that? You need to sell your shit before you sell the shift. So I'm not selling the shift, okay? I I think you need to sell the shit first, all right? Well, look, um, Greg, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Um, I hope the viewers have got something from it. I did. We did have a bit of a conversation uh, beforehand with regards to the viewers that are finding my show. So thank you. I mean, there was still bits in there. I mean, I don't understand the bond market. I don't understand any of that type of thing. All I know is perhaps I'm a nutty person. But when I I say one thing, can I say one thing? Of course you understand it because you're doing this. You know, your gut is telling you there's something here. And that's the the thing that I need to stress to people. Most people know there's something wrong. Yep. Yet they don't do another little bit of homework to find the solution. Mm. They can feel there's something wrong. There's something wrong about printing yourself to pay your bills. Just take it this long. Imagine you took your mortgage out in a dollar that you could print in your basement. Right. So the FOSS dollar was able to be used to pay down the FOSS mortgage. What a fucking goof that would be. (laughs) That's all the government it is. Right. Don't overthink it. You've got to understand there's something wrong. And then you got to find the solution. The solution is Bitcoin. So you understand it. Don't say you don't, Brian. You no, do understand it. I, I, I do understand it. I mean, w- what I was going to say was my gut told me in 2017, get in boy. and buy some. Yeah. And, and I guess I was one of those that bought first and learned to understand second, which is not the best way to go. But no, my gut the said... Traders, the best traders I've ever met aren't the guys that have MBAs. The yep. best traders I've ever met are the guys that grew up on the street and they understand to trust their gut. And they also understand if the information changes to reverse direction because you don't win if you are fighting a losing battle. OK, yep. so you trust your gut. You get in, if you learn about it and then say, oh, my God, I made a mistake. Then you get out. You don't yep. try and get out and say, oh, I want to make money on this. No, your first loss is your best loss. You get the hell out. The best traders I've ever met in my life are not MBAs. The best traders I ever met in my life are people like you and your Bitcoin and, and blue collar workers who trust their gut and know how to trade. They don't trade emotion. They trade intelligence. They learn to understand things. They listen to people who are smarter than them and they understand that there's no certainty. They take the appropriate risks. Well, and with that said, can you bear with me? Um, I just want to go over to my desktop. I love quotes and I always end my show with a quote. So bear with me. People, I found this one. Sometimes the best road is the one that you make. Here's what I'll say off the back of that, people. Um, I don't understand a lot about the technicals of Bitcoin. I know in my heart that Bitcoin is where I want to be. I know in my heart that if you're watching this, you should get off of zero and get some Bitcoin and then get in the rabbit hole and learn a little bit about it. And I love the philosophy that the pioneers are the ones that are laughed at, taunted, jeered, scoffed. But those people are the ones that have the best view from the top. So sometimes the best road is the one that you make. And Bitcoin is carving that road. We, as people in the Bitcoin space, are helping the adoption one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one live show like this at a time. And I want you all, please, to help us all out in sharing this out on Twitter. Greg, I would ask you if you would kindly uh, tweet this afterwards saying you enjoyed the show something so we can get more eyeballs on it. Um, 
and people go back into my comments after the show and just type great show, rubbish show, whatever, because that then screws with YouTube's algorithm and it keeps it higher on YouTube. So when new people are on YouTube Googling Bitcoin, they might come across this channel. So you really can help with the overall adoption. If you don't want to put your face out there like I am, then definitely help the show, help other people find Bitcoin by tweeting it out and liking it on YouTube and saying something. Uh, Greg, where can people find you? Now, I'm assuming it's going to be Twitter, but anywhere else? Yeah, uh, Twitter is an incredible tool that I've just learned about uh, in the last 18 months. Uh, so my Twitter handle is at Foss, Greg Foss, my, my last name, F-O-S-S-G-R-E-G-F-O-S-S. Uh, you can find me uh, currently in British Columbia. Uh, don't come after me with hate mail. I'm good with hate mail. Don't come after me just because, you know, I have an opinion. Uh, opinions are like sphincters. Every asshole has one. Okay. And uh, I, I definitely have an opinion and I'm an asshole. Uh, look, I'm just trying to help the future for our kids. It's been a pleasure uh, for you to, to, to be on your show. And don't overthink things, people. Um, this is absolutely so imperative for the future of our children that our current politicians are so uh freely wasting okay because they want to get another four years in 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 power look you got to call out the scams as the scams exist bitcoin is the most beautiful technology that i have ever experienced and the ability to transfer value anywhere in the world and have it settle in 10 minutes on chain okay, is so brilliant. Now I'm just learning about the Lightning Network and I have friends in El Salvador working on boots on the ground and this is gonna change the Western unions of the world which is old stupid money and the biggest holders of Western Union are BlackRock and uh, Vanguard which are dumb ETF passive money investors who are gonna get their heads handed to them because they're embracing dinosaur technology, okay? Yep. Listen to the young kids, watch the young kids, one of the most brilliant investors ever was Peter Lynch, who was at Fidelity. Peter Lynch said he spent more time in retail malls watching what the kids were doing and buying rather than reading research reports from conflicted Wall Street analysts. Understand what's going on on the ground, you guys. El Salvador is a real life test net and you don't want the fiat currency to implode overnight the risks are that it will yep. but it's a network transfer and when in a network transfer you don't turn one network off and then try and get the other networks started you transfer the power from one network to another and that's Steadily. what's happening yep. on a daily basis don't overthink this thank you for having me and uh and let's have a pop. You, me, and uh, you, me, and Pubby will have a pop, okay? And uh, we'll talk about horse races and uh, talk about horse races and uh, probabilities. It's easy math, you guys. Don't overthink it. And thank you for having me. Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, will you come back again at some point in the future? Will you come back and talk I, again? I am open. I am. I'm absolutely open all the time to talk and try and help people. Uh, take that last one yard, or as you guys would say, that last meter. He's on the 99 meter line. Well, let's get him to the 100 meter line, okay? Because mm -hmm. uh, that's what people need. Greg, it's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed uh -huh. it, people. I'm going to leave you all I with my so. social media links. Um, Greg's link to his Twitter will be in the show notes as soon as the show is over. In fact, I think it might already be there, people. So I will be back on, uh, where are we today? Is it Monday? Is it Yes, Monday, isn't it? I normally do these on a Thursday. I'll be back on Thursday, 6pm London with my regular show. Greg, once again, thanks to you. Stick around so we can say goodbye. I'll leave you with my social media links, people, and I'll catch you all on Thursday. Have a great week, everyone.